Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Oh, thank you, Bob. Stop dying, Mike. Hey, Chuck. I always want to say it's Evan and Jared that I started the Aloe House Recovery Center with. Evan and Jared. If it wasn't for Evan and Jared, we wouldn't be sitting here right now because I'm a business idiot which is what jared is good at <laughs> and i'm a and i'm a clinical idiot which is what evan is so they fill in the gaps for me but i am bob so you can take bring something to the table yeah. <laughs> you bring the palindrome yeah but it's not clinical and it's not business that's not why those aren't my wheel wells chuck <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm trying to think what the other part is food <laughs> the other part is the healing, Chuck. The healing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, like you know, I mean, clinical, like the bullshit of fucking documentation. You know, it's just ridiculous. Uh, it's just a bunch of. You know how many, it, Mike? You don't know that. Do you know how many ten? Not not hundreds, not thousands, tens of thousands of pages of bullshit that no one has ever read. Me and Chuck have written. That no one's mm-hmm. ever gonna read ever. Where do they go? Where do they sit in a file or what? Do they, they must do? go on a SoundCloud. They go on a cloud, don't they? Yeah. Now, now they don't go. They don't fill up file rooms anymore. It's all uh, computer stuff. But yeah, I mean, the amount. And it's amount really of bullshit that has been written in drug treatment since Obamacare, since the Parity Act. The amount of bullshit that no one has ever read that's been written is idiocracy at its finest because yeah. all the time you spend documenting is time you can't spend helping and listening and directing and talking and and encouraging because you're sitting there typing you know and I'm a horrible typer I type with my two pointer <laughs> fingers Chuck it's not for a two finger guy Two finger. I'm a fast two finger guy. Don't put me down. No, okay, can, you're I'm no probably, James Jamerson. <laughs> I'm probably. I bet you I'm fifty words a, a minute. Two two Whoa. finger. I'm fast. Whoa, I I think I can barely do that using all of them. But oh, but maybe, it's I'm 30, maybe I'm thirty five. But, but I know that my. Do you know my sister was an executive secretary at Xerox, and she was sixty words per minute. That's pretty damn good. That's fast, right? What's the most well, you can you know, type my, per minute? My, my mom is nutty. She was doing it on electric typewriters when they, the IBM yeah, how, ones. How many words? She could do like 80 something. 80. Oh, wow. there's, people so that she, type 100, there's two people that type 120 words a minute. That's crazy. Yeah, but they're, they're, but they're copying something. When Chuck and I are doing it, we're trying to fit into this insurance fucking bullshit narrative. And you're thinking and typing. The so same you're thinking time. and it's slowing you down. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's all sorts of um, new stuff coming down the pike where it's going to be even more. It won't be long and there'll be even more that we have to do to be able to get people the treatment that they need. And it's not stuff that helps them. It's not stuff that's going to, it's not stuff that's going to benefit them at the end of the day, but because of, uh, the fraud because of the fraud, right? The fraud and the, the clients that willfully take advantage of it for profit too. 
um, not just the business owners, but the people the, there are some people that are well-known players in the game that are, that are professional clients. Right. So it's like, because of all that, other people are getting gypped. They're getting totally gypped and we're not able to spend the time. If I, if I only spent three hours a day on my computer, I'd be happy. What does a professional client do? They get no, paid to go to treatment. Well, the, well, they're the, there's like a posse from the owners, right? It's all a scam together, right? I have never heard of a professional client. Oh, my- yeah. We've talked about them here. We're- they work with the patient brokers and a lot of times with the owners of the little mom and pops, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll go in. We've had people come into our place and take four or five people out with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. We had that. You know, that where they and- come in, they come in undercover saying that they're doing this and doing that, but they don't. It does. They don't. Their tests don't match up with what they say they've been doing, and then three or four days later, they've got a small crew of people that are going down the street for fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars each. They get paid to go. You know what? Like, I don't do day to day groups anymore. But when I was, those kids would always confess to me that that's what they were doing and that they didn't want to do it. I swear to God, when I was working in Temecula, the kids like. Several, like a half a dozen over a year period of time, Chuck came to me in my office and said, you know, I want to talk to you. For, and they always shut the door and they say, mm-hmm. you know, I work for so-and-so. And I'd be like, the first oh time, the God. first three times it happened, I didn't even, I didn't even understand. They considered themselves working for right. another, uh, uh, either a patient broker referral source or, or rehab itself. I work for another place and they're supposed to give me money for getting people out of here but you know i just but i don't my insurance is lapsing and they always have a sad luck story so what Mm -hmm. these patient brokers and these owners that caused it caused all the fraud what they were doing was very predatory it was very exploitative they were exploiting addicts they were Mm -hmm. using them they were tying them up in emotional turmoil making it impossible for them to focus on their recovery and and guess what chuck all the guys I know that did that used to love talking about recovery and AA and sobriety. Oh my and God. they thought that, and they thought by doing that kind of stuff, they're not hurting anybody. I talked to the kids they were using. They were harmed by that practice. Mm-hmm. Mike, you can't believe oh, this. I can't. I, they would uh, you pay know. a kid to come to my rehab to take other kids out with them back to the other rehab. Mm-hmm. See, we covered that like slightly, but being like a layman sort of, you know, myself talking about myself that I didn't really get the whole depth of it. That is crazy. I don't think, yeah. any, I don't think a lot of people know about that whole thing. I've told every one of these guys and a lot of, a lot of the fraudsters are kind of acquaintances of mine. Some of them I like or whatever, but what? I always say, I always say, Yeah. I always say, like, I've never frauded anybody, and I've always made a good living. I don't know how much money you guys need. Right. Truth, truthfully, <laughs> I don't know. Because a lot of times they're putting all this energy into, and I try to imagine, the ones they stole from Aloe were outpatients, right? Like five outpatients left. I think one time they did it inpatient, but mostly they do it outpatient because it's cheaper and easier to move around, right? So... So they stole five outpatients. At best, it's like, you know, say they make eight grand each. It's 40 grand. So they paid this kid like 
$1,500 to go steal 40 grand worth of treatment of which half those kids aren't going to complete that treatment. So they didn't only end up getting 20, they paid 1500 and they, and they debased themselves. Right. Do you understand for a $18,500 worth of profit, you can just provide good treatment and make $18,500. Why do you got to go running around doing that? It was yeah, just it so seems like gross. so much extra work. It, it got, does it, seem like so much extra work. I did, I wouldn't be able to focus enough. Like that's like being so a much, so, that, Bob, that's <laughs> like being a songwriter and then concentrating on stealing other people's stuff and doing all the legal paperwork <laughs> to get it easy, into your yeah, hands it's just and to on write your, your publishing. Own song. It's just easier but, to write your own fucking song. <laughs> but remember when there were several, well, at least two hundred extra places in Orange County alone. That are no longer in existence. You know, there were there used to be. Uh, is is so, it two hundred people? Places I, I, thought, I thought it was, it was like one hundred and fifty with the first. It was one hundred and fifty ish with the first big sweep, and they've been slowly picking them off. And we just had another one go south um, that I knew a couple of the guys worked at that asked hit me up in Huntington for Beach, work. right? It in was Huntington no, Beach. it wasn't in Huntington Beach, but it was Orange County. No, I'm, there was I'm a trying, good I, one in. A good one in Orange County or in Huntington Beach is closed or is closing. What was like it called? Lad, There's uh, Truvita. No, it was like this. This this, this place was called Truvita. So it's like these guys call me and they tell me, hey, man, are you guys hiring? And because they, they showed up to work and doors are locked. Right. You know, and that's not that tells you that something's really that tells you something's <laughs> wrong, right? I mean, I mean, it's one thing to say, you know what? Hey, we're coming up on hard times. We're going to have to let people go. Here's your letters saying that you weren't fired, that you were laid off, and I wish you well and all that stuff. But when you just show up and you've got the 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 Motown treatment where the doors are locked and they say, <laughs> don't 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 call us, we'll call you. <laughs> yeah, that happened up in uh, in uh, in Oregon. I won't say one of the treatment centers, but happened in Oregon, and then the clients just stayed there, living there. I thought that was cool. I thought that was smart. <laughs> you know, they just refused to leave, and they were just living in this place for, I guess, months or a month and a half or two months. But um, yeah, it's a crazy industry, and I think I think all this shittiness is getting out of it, but. What's left of it is documentation and and still a battle of the internet and yeah I don't know but you get to help people so um, yeah bottom line and every also once Chuck, in a while you get to get vaccinated and I wanted to tell oh, you guys yeah. I've had you know I'm older and I'm not in the greatest shape and I've had some I've I've had some ups and downs with the vaccination I wondered if Chuck do you have any headaches or balance problems or anything um I didn't feel great for a couple of days but I didn't know if that's because people told me I wasn't going to feel good or not but I didn't feel good and I had sort of a headache for like 2 days but the third day I was I was good to go. And my, my next one is February 15th. Mine's February 12th. Yeah. So, so here's what happened to me. And I, I had to go to the doctor a couple of times. And finally, what, I what talked was your to vac- Dr. Drew. What was your vaccine? Moderna. Okay. So was mine. So uh, what, what it causes in some people is inflammation, right? So, so inflammation can be in many places. Most places is like in your muscles, in your neck, in your back, and your legs or whatever, you know, your typical old age pain, right, is mostly inflammation. 
but sometimes it's your inner ear. And when it's your mm. inner ear, you lose your balance. And so for about a week, I, it, would, it was really bad in the morning. And then by like noon, one, two o'clock, it would get better. But, um, but it was really weird. And at, here's the thing. I had decided that I wasn't going to talk about it because I didn't want to discourage people from getting vaccinated. I realized that's an arrogant thing. The people yeah. who, are, who are anti-vaxxers oh, said don't, so no it, one will anymore. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not saying don't. I'm saying get right. it. I'm getting my no, second dose. Me I'm just too. saying that if I said these horrible side effects I had, it would discourage people. What I realized is people are, people are anti-vaccinations. I've talked to lots of smart people. They're just like, I don't need it. I'm 28 years old. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't I'm trust healthy. it. I'm healthy. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right. And so... So, well, I'm not going to judge them. I'm just going to say, well, okay, then can we have concerts? <laughs> That's all I really care about. <laughs> so if, 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 if 20 or 30 or 40% of the population doesn't want to get vaccinated and eventually by June, say everybody that does want to get vaccinated gets vaccinated. Can we then have concerts? I'm just, yeah, I'm I just, I, life, life is not the same without concerts. It's not whether, you know, because whether it's going to the Hollywood Bowl and seeing the glee, I went and saw glee at the Hollywood Bowl last year. I hate glee, but I just love the Hollywood Bowl <laughs> I and don't. I love music and I love being around people and stuff like this. No concerts, no movie theaters, no school. This has got to end. Yeah. And I'm a liberal, but this has got to end. Our kids are going nuts. Our kids are killing themselves. This is for what? Because a bunch of grown adults read shit on the internet and they don't want to get vaccinated? Like, fuck you. Yeah, that's that. Well, you know, I, you know, I, we already talked about how there were some people at, at Bug's school who acted weird, but I was, I was with a friend the other day and these people showed up and they, he said, hey, I've got my first vaccination so we can hang out. And they said, oh no, you're shedding now. When you get, <laughs> when you get, when everybody's you, a scientist now. All these right. high school dropouts are scientists. They, they said, they actually said, and this is when I knew I had to say, I go, you know what? I cannot be in this conversation. This is ludicrous. Uh, because they, they said, when you, when they inject the virus into you, which I know it's now, they, the they, I know it's, it's mRNA. I know. And they go, um, now you're more contagious than if someone who actually contracted just, it Mike, naturally. Mike, Mike, you're, 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 you're missing, Chuck, you're, you're giving too much credit mike everything he just said right now is not true i know that so the person <laughs> saying that shit was saying shit they read on the internet that like is on not Breitbart true no they're, no they're, no they're not what are you talking about this is a liberal thing yeah These this is liberals. a liberal disease unfortunately yeah um, the, the whole anti-vaxxer thing is a bunch of liberals what don't put that I'm, I'm on confused. my boy, Andrew Breitbart. Don't put that on my boy. Oh, my God. You know, I, I love Andrew up. Breitbart. He was a great guy. <laughs> Mike Breitbart, Mark, how about that... this, Chuck? I'm going to blow your mind right now. Mike <laughs> Mart met Andrew Breitbart, and he doesn't know it. Really? Andrew Breitbart. <laughs> Andrew Breitbart was a Thelonious Monster fan. Oh shit. Andrew Breitbart organized the Norwood benefit for remember that we played at the palace 
Oh yeah. With Jane's addiction. That yeah. was Andrew Breitbart organized that. Oh, really? Yes, you knew Andrew Breitbart. I don't know. I, I thought Breitbart was that Steve Bannon guy. No, it's a guy that we knew. Oh, I know. <laughs> he, he died so sadly. He was walking his dog, and he just dropped dead from a massive heart attack or something. Really? Yeah, he was only like 40-something years old. Oh, my really God. Really good guy. He also, by the way, Chuck, he also started Huffington Post. Oh. He's a genius thinker. Guess what he said like 12 years ago? If America doesn't wake up and start respecting its democracy, you're going to end up with somebody like Donald Trump as fucking president. <laughs> <laughs> I like how it. How, it be, how Bannon changed it into this QAnon fucking website, I don't know. But Andrew Breitbart was a cool guy. Wow, because um, it is really, I mean, it is, it's, it's radically, I mean, I, you know, I check both. I, I check just all the news sources. I just go to the CDC website and read the factual science. We're, we're now at a place where our children are suffering tremendously. We, we need to get them back in school. I don't, you know, and I'm a liberal. So uh, when people will start listening to the CDC, and the Pediatrics Association of Southern California, instead of the teachers union, right? The yeah, CDC uh -huh. says schools are safer than supermarkets, right? <laughs> CDC. <laughs> yeah. Do you know I, why? Do you know why? I read the whole report, Chuck. Do you want to know why? Because I'm kind I of would obsessed like with this. Yeah. Okay. A school is, is a, what's a static community, it's called. So they have like 200 of the same people all week, every day, same 200 people, right? They, they know where the people live. They know how to quarantine it. They know how to keep everyone safe. It's a static population. There's only the same 200 people every day, every, every week, every month. Same, you know, say mm -hmm. 50 staff members, 250, 300 kids, right? A supermarket has two to 400 customers a day. And they're always different coming from all these different places all over the community. Right. Okay. In, so there's 200 or say at a medium sized supermarket, like the one I go to Vons and Laverne, let's say 200 or 300 people come through there a day. It's another different two or 300 the next day, another different 200 or 300 the next day, because you don't go to the supermarket about once every five and a half days. So actually a thousand different people go to a supermarket on average in a week coming from all different exposure ways. And you have no way of tracking them. Remember they talked about tracking right, in the beginning. Right. There's no way of tracking them. They don't even know who they are. At a school, you have the name, the email, the family's address, the phone numbers. You know how to keep it safe. This is right. and, like, and all the precautions are in place. And from what the parents I've talked to, they're being—they're not being idiots about it. You know, we're not running out, um, you know, uh, making out with strangers or anything. So we're <laughs> we're we're trying to. You know, are you so suggesting like, people at supermarkets make out with strangers? I'm just saying, I mean, why do you think I go? <laughs> no. <laughs> but but what, 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 
So there's no reason the schools can't open and do social distancing, wear masks, and let the kids play. There's, there's no reason for it. We made a mistake. You know, we make lots of mistakes. And when we make mistakes, what do we do when we're children? We learn from them and correct them and move on. But see, as adults, we don't. We have to, we have to rationalize the mistake. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. No, it's a right. mistake. It, well, yeah. and, we, and we have to stick to our original tagline, whether, whether it's changed or not. That's what, that's what I like about being a sober person is we have the right to revise our views on things all the time. I don't have to say at the beginning of this, I thought this, so I have to stick to it so that people won't see me flip-flop. I'm willing to say, man, we've learned new stuff. Let's move forward. Let's change. But right. so many people are stuck where they were 10 months ago because they're going to stick to their guns and they're going to stick well, to that they were right. They were they were 20 years ago. So when I got sober, I said childhood trauma doesn't matter. It's all bullshit. That's a bunch mm -hmm. of whiny babies. I then started to believe, no, that's the whole thing, childhood trauma, because I was working with Dr. Drew every day, and that's his thing. It's trauma, 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 trauma. And now I've swung back around that it is the explainer of all things addiction, but it is not the excuse, right? So it explains okay. addiction, but it does not excuse addiction, right? Huh. If you were beaten and raped and traumatized and abandoned as a child, there is no doubt you're going to have a difficult adulthood. That doesn't excuse the poor decisions you make having a kind of destructive, addiction-driven, hypersexuality adulthood. It doesn't excuse it. It just explains it. Once you're enlightened... You should stop drinking. Drinking is causing you all these problems. Right? Right. From the moment yeah, yeah. of enlightenment, whether you choose to be sober and correct your behavior or not, that shit is on you. Yeah. Instead you, of you, instead of continuing drinking and, and using and, and using, using it, it as, as an, an excuse. excuse. Exactly. You cannot use it as an excuse because the disease of addiction, the disease of depression, the disease of mental defect and narcissism and personality disorder wants to continue self-destruction. And here's the interesting thing, Chuck. We still haven't figured out why. Why would it not want you to live in abundance and happiness and, and wonderfulness? Why does it, why does childhood trauma and depression and narcissistic personality disorder constantly egg you on to have this horrible, hideous, self-destructive, self-pitying life? It if we seeks, could figure that out, we could switch it around. We could rewire doesn't it, it. Do, doesn't it seem like it seeks the attention, the attention getting factor of all of that? Of all that? Was that what you were doing, Mike? <laughs> I, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Well, you know, it, it, that, that's, that's really similar to the, when people grow up in a, in a house uh, where, where, where their crime is prevalent and one, one guy ends up being a cop and the next guy ends up being a criminal spending his life in prison in the very same environment. I don't know. Are we, is it, is it got something to do? Is that where genetic codes come in? I don't, I don't know. I, well, I, I wish we knew I, that. I, 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 you know, I'm, I go back and forth. I don't, I don't know. I, I know that, you know, nature versus nurture. Here's an interesting thing. My older sister just passed away a few months ago, 
Um, she and I had a conversation when I got sober and she said, you know, we grew up in this alcoholic household with violence and chaos and fun and craziness and never know what's going to happen next. And she said at a very early age, like 14, 15, she realized that it was the drinking that was causing all that. Right. Okay. And ironically, I never thought the drinking was causing it. I thought they were. I thought my mom and dad were. I thought that they were. I thought my mom was kind of a stuck up, you know what? You can't even say that word anymore, the B word. She was kind of a stuck up, <laughs> prideful, phony. Bitch. Yeah. Oh, Mike. Oh, it's okay. God, you're going to have to edit that. Oh, so you can't, call, you kinda, can't call someone what? else's mom that? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> she was, but if you she don't was, have a career okay, to ruin you guys, i'm gonna describe her and then you can decide what she was she was prideful she was arrogant she was materialistic she was phony she was backstabby wow right gossipy yeah. right <laughs> so whatever word you want to use for that those are some of the qualities of my mother and well, now dad, you have to. Nowadays, you dad, have to call her a nice person. Then I would. Get yeah, her. yeah. She, she, but she was great. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Uh, it she sounds like she would have been fun. <laughs> there was nothing fun about my mother. Nothing. So then, my dad was this like love to get along and get drunk and have fun with his buddies and make jokes and everything was a joke and you know, from personal, you know, appearance jokes to telling stories and everything was like large, bigger than life and community oriented and alcohol oriented and joke oriented and sports oriented and hunting and fishing oriented. Just like one of those, that generation of guys, right? And they didn't fit together. My dad was not prideful and my mom was not very people oriented <laughs> so nothing, nothing about them fit together in any way right and so i always just thought they were the problem drinking's fine they're the problem the drinking's sister, what's making them tolerate each other <laughs> some way, that's the only thing they have in common for christ's sake <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and my sister saw that it was the drinking that made them magnified their their negative characteristics or whatever. So she said at 16, when she was, she got drunk for the first time, she said, I'm never doing that again. And she never drank because she didn't want to be like her mom and dad. I associated liberalism, punk rock, anti-authority, anti-social, uh, uh, anti uh, government, all the all the kind of things that I learned at 16, 17, 18, 19, like, fuck you, punk rock. I don't care if I have any money, uh, you know, and that's when Mike and I met. We're just like hobos and we're like drunken <laughs> drug addict hobos. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> so so I was casting their value system away, but embracing the alcohol, Chuck, ironically. Which was the preeminent thing in their world. It really was. And I became just like them. I became both the, all the worst parts of my mother and all the worst parts of my father. Yay. <laughs> Combined. Yeah. Combined in this perfect synergy of idiocracy and miserableness. With a, with, a, with a splash of tonic. 
<laughs> just a you know bob i often get confused when you talk about your mom and your dad that's my parents who raised me but not my, not my sister I know, because mom. Like, I get, like you're talking your sister mom yeah Is that, she she was fun when she was younger and then and then she, she became she's like, the one that quit drinking no no my her her older sister jane oh you I, met Jane. Jane came to a, a Golden Bear one time when we played. My my sister, my older sister, wasn't a big fan of my music career. My mom, she was right. My mom but was right older, there. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Your older sister is your mom, right? No, my middle sister is my mom. <laughs> okay. God, Mike. If, I'm sorry, and then it's, I'm sorry. I get confused. <laughs> I get confused. I was born. I was born at St. Anne's Home for Unwed Mothers in Silver Lake. It's yep. a Catholic home for teenage, wayward, pregnant girls. It still exists, by the way. It's not, it's not called Home for Unwed Mothers anymore. It's called something much more politically correct. But I was born there. My dad said, if it's a girl, we leave it there for adoption. If it's a boy, we'll adopt it. And I was a boy, Chuck, believe it or not. Huh. I don't know. You, maybe so. Your biological mother is your is your is your middle sister that middle I was raised. Sister. I was raised with three older sisters. You're talking about your middle sister's younger sister who stopped drinking when she was no, 16. No, her older sister. God, her older it. sister. Okay, now that would be your aunt. It's not my aunt. It's my sister. <laughs> Why can't you follow this? <laughs> but your biological aunt, correct? Would you, you, you know were what? adopted by your grandparents and you didn't know, you would think that those three girls living in the other bedrooms are your sisters. Then but they're they not actually you, in reality, in biological terms. So that would make them your great grandmother. <laughs> right? <laughs> So it's your it's your great grandmother's twice removed. This is like that song "I'm My Own Grandpa." Have you ever heard that country song? Oh, we, oh, we need we need to draw a, a map. We need to do no, a, a genogram. Sort of. Hey, listen, can I can I tell you who I this used happened to? Understand to? It. This yeah. was common in the fifties. This was even common in the forties, but it was oh, more common God. in the late fifties and into the mid sixties. This happened. I've met dozens of people that have this story because I'm like the poster child of this story. But guess who's the real poster child of this story? And you know it from songs. John Lennon. John Lennon was supposedly raised by his Auntie Mimi, right? Auntie Mimi or something. Yeah. Mima. That was Julia, his mother's older sister. Right? <laughs> But he okay. considered it his mother, but they, he just called him the anti-mima or mima or whatever. But you have this a lot with this, and this is what's called trauma. So look at what happens to traumatized people who grow up in chaos and all this ill kind of ridiculous lies and misrepresentation and whatever. And you have now a whole new generation of the opioid death children going to be raised by their grandparents. There's hundred mm -hmm. thousands of them right chuck there's oh yeah there's a, there's forty thousand just in west virginia i believe and whether it's one or two of the parents are dead and the grandchildren are being raised by the grandparents in west virginia yeah i don't think right? a week goes by 
where we're one of a set of parents with small children that I'm aware of goes. Right. So, so it's, it's tens of thousands of families and their children being raised by their grandparents. Now I know half them, if the kid's two or three, they're not going to tell the kid that your parents are dead. They're just going to act like their parents. That's what my parents did. They just acted like my parents. I was, you know, they, I just grew up with them being my mom and dad. Right. And my three older sisters. So my oldest sister, my oldest aunt, if Mike wants to do this correctly, never drank because she saw that drinking was the thing that caused all the chaos and caused them to not like each other and fight and whatever. Now, watch this. I know that's a simple kind of way of looking at it. What really it was, was their underlying issues that caused my mom to be prideful and materialistic and phony and my dad to always have to have people around to laugh with. And, you know, he would, my, the greatest story about my dad. So my dad was, did pretty well in business and he loved to go to this bar that was around the corner from our house in, in Inglewood. And he would buy, he'd get drunk every, you know, three times a week and he would buy everybody their drinks once he, once he had like three or four. Right. And he had a tab there because in the 50s and 60s, you had tabs. You didn't pay cash every drink. Oh, my God. And the forum's on TV right now. That was my backyard. So my dad would go to this thing called the ski room. And he, then he would have a few drinks and then he'd buy everybody there. There's only 10 or 18 people there. He would buy them drinks all night until like 11. And then he would come home and pass out. Right. But he always went to work the next next morning. So okay. my dad's accountant says, Idy, you know, you're paying like 500 bucks a month at this fucking bar. And, <laughs> you know, and told, made the mistake of telling my mom that. I remember I was like seven or eight. And there was this big fight and the accountant guy's over at the house. And, and so my dad says, well, God damn it. I, you know, I was talking to the owner. I'm just going to buy the fucking bar. And my dad bought yeah. the bar. The idea was going to be to cover his drinking and, and, and it was easier probably to comp people drinks than to buy them retail. Right. But that, that, <laughs> yeah. that oh, only on. lasted and not even a year that only lasted like a few months. And then my mom put the shutdown on that. Cause my, <laughs> cause the thing didn't make any money. He'd just give everybody free drinks when he got there. Yeah. But he didn't have to pay $500 a month. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Like, it, it was like That's $500 to own the bar. So yeah. So it like, <laughs> kind of makes sense to me. He I became a partner in the bar. I remember that. So, so, you know, he had this insecurity, I know, that is in me, that you just want to be entertaining and you want to be liked and you want everybody to like you and, and kind of that, that my dad had, which you can't face that shit unless you stop drinking those underlying issues. It's not like you're going to be drinking and doing that and then face that underlying issue of always needing to have people around and be entertaining and be insecure and have a lot of people like you for buying them drinks. Right, Chuck, you can't really, you can't deal with that while you're doing that. You have to stop doing that and then dig into the, to the core issues of why you're like that. Right. Right. And my mom is, my mom's not going to look at her false pride and her, her 
fake, phony, materialistic, keeping up with the Joneses thing, unless she stops drinking, right? Because drinking fuels that whole thing. So I don't know that the drinking was the whole cause of it. The underlying issues were there. So what I'm saying is my ideas about addiction have evolved. They've evolved from it doesn't play any factor. It's just about the drugs and drinking. You cut out the drugs and drinking and you're just like everybody else. I used to say that in my first five years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. I used to say that. It's just an excuse. It's just a bunch of bullshit. It's a, you fucking grow up and all this stuff. And I was taught that by Buddy Arnold and Gloria Scott, which was their kind of way of looking at it. I evolved out of that to thinking it's all about the trauma. And now I think it's all about all of it. It's a mess. Addiction is a mess. It's a fucking messy. It doesn't stay inside the lines of definition. It's messy. It's spiritual. It's sociological. It's psychological. It's genetic. It's environment. It's all of it. And it's really complicated. But you can't begin to to look at it all and figure it all out, which takes a decade, not a fucking 30 days. It takes 10 years to eight years for me. But you got to stop drinking and get a solid foundation of sobriety and understanding and functionality before you can even do that work. And I believe AA is filled mm-hmm. with tens of thousands of people that have never even tried that work. They don't even know what that is. Well, right? There's, so there's a lot, that, a lot of that people confusion. that have never looked at that. Yeah. 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 That Absolutely. Confusion. So, you know, it's a miracle that somebody gets sober. It's a miracle that they then become somewhat a good citizen. And because we just talked about people in the recovery industry that are sober, that talk about AA all the time, that are so immoral, so greedy, so unethical, it's beyond comprehension. You know, a friend of mine used to always say, when I would say, oh, this asshole from AA, he'd say, well, imagine what they're like drinking. I think some of these recovery people were probably better people when they were drunk. <laughs> they, were, they were probably buying people drinks instead of worrying about they, yeah, uh, stacking their money. Exploiting yeah. little kids to go patient broker for you. So, and, and there's all this, and all of it is this, this big swirling kind of, you know, not mess, but just, you got to really pay attention to understand what's going on. Right. Right. And, and, and and remaining open-minded and being willing to say like, I mean, I've, I was so against any use of Suboxone whatsoever. So was I. Now I just think it's great. Put them all uh, on. Or, or, you know, so, and then it's gone from, but then I've watched, you know, the people that are on it for super long term, how they never get to feel okay. They, they, you know, whatever. But the idea that I I can say, you know, I didn't fully understand it then. I, I don't know that I fully understand it now. And I reserve the right to change or have a different opinion. If I become enlightened, if I hear someone talking and it seems to make sense, or I see enough happen that uh, I, I can refute what I, I had thought before then yeah that's but that's where we kind of I like got that off you on said, this i like that you said you don't understand yeah i don't i don't understand it completely but you know when in the face of of young people death like never before there are certain things that are unprecedented young death is unprecedented 
80,000 kids dying of drugs every year is never happened before. You can't go, oh, yeah, this is the same as like when I was younger. No, it wasn't. No, 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 it was not. You'd have to be an unthinking or un, uh, someone who hasn't looked into it at all to say that. That doesn't know anything to say that. Yeah. So, so in the face of that, yeah, I think anything that will work to keep people from dying from di- addiction is, is a solution of some sort. You know, I don't know. It's not for me. I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I, and also this, this, if it was me, all these uh, scenarios that we put ourselves in, I don't know if they put me on Suboxone when I got sober, I probably would have gotten off of it. I probably would have. I know what sober is. I know what I want in my life. I want a clear mind. I want a clear conscience. How about this? I said that the other day and these kids looked at me all confused. I said, I just like having a clear mind and a clear conscience. And they, they didn't understand that there was a difference. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. thing. Maybe they don't have both. Maybe they don't, Chuck. Because I had this sidebar conversation with one of them. I said, no, that thing that you, that you know, you did wrong. And he goes, yeah, but I, you know, I do wrong. And then, you know, but I don't mean to. I said, yeah, you do. You did wrong. You knew right from wrong and you did wrong and you have the conscience that you're that was fucked up what you did. You don't have that. And he said, no, I don't have that. Oh, and I cool. Was like, sociopath. cool. No, I don't think it's sociopath. <laughs> I, I don't think it is. I think it's a modern American underdeveloped frontal lobe. Do you think it's well? That's the the biggest thing. The first it's technology the disconnect, is what the I'm disconnect saying. from it's technology. The, well, and, and technology also helps with the disconnect from ourselves, the same way dope and booze does. Once I disconnect from me, then it's not me, or it's not my fault, or it's not my problem, or it's not. Uh, you got a visitor? Yeah, so, let's just duck this out. Hey, he wants, he wants some brawlers. Do you know this thing, brawlers? This internet thing? Mm-hmm. No. Oh God, it's awful. It's expensive. Okay. It's a game, mm. a video game. I think it's amazing that you've looked so deeply at all of this because like I would just assume that, you know, mine was avoidance and, you know, not wanting to face the truth and and the fact that my dad died when I was, you know, I mean, I just think it's amazing that you've gone so de- in depth about this and that Well, here's an interesting this. thing. Here's an interesting thing. I think about I think about you, me and Anthony. We all admire our fathers who weren't very admirable people on a certain level. Right. Right? Yeah. Because I admire my dad. All my sisters, they couldn't stand him. Most most right. people who knew my dad didn't like him. I just idolized him. I don't know why. Right? Yeah, so you wanted to be like him. You wanted to drink like him. You wanted to own a bar like I him. Just, I him. just like that. Yeah, I like that. Or like mm-hmm. I, I, A lot of times when we were at Raji's, I felt like I was my dad at his bar. Right? Like I know when everybody. You, when I know you started everybody. the Sunday club. Yeah, I started the when Sunday you started club. The Sunday club. It was like that. Everybody playing baseball across the street, all punk rock and wearing crazy stuff and shows and stuff like that. That was Yeah, of- it was fun. Yeah. That it, uh, there is a lot of my dad in there, but but in the long run, what do you think of what do you think of this thing? I realized the other day, like all I really need is my children and to talk to people on the phone. That's all I really need. I don't. I don't need. I don't, what about the RV? I, what about well, music? 
No, no, I need to go to concerts, but I don't need to talk to anybody, Adam. I, I want to go to concerts. We're adding, we're I, adding stuff. We need the RV. But, we need but the that old or... that old camaraderie I had with hundreds of people in Hollywood, I don't need it anymore. I don't. I don't. I, I'm cool no. without it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I don't. Like, you know, the circle of friends has gotten smaller, but for a reason. I. I. That's why I liked going to the observatory. So once we moved to Claremont, when there was a good show like X played the observatory. Um, I once saw somebody else really good at the observatory. I think I went to a punk rock thing. Uh, I like just going and paying and going inside and just watching by myself. And then maybe I bump into, I bumped into Gabby one day and I hung out with him. And, um, but I just liked that I didn't know anybody. Whenever I go to like the Roxy or the whiskey or El Ray, like I know like 50 people there. I remember when mm. you can't even watch El the show. You can't, you got to talk to this guy. Oh, do you remember 1988? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here with my son to see the damned, right? It was at the da damn show with Elvis because he likes the, like, you know what I notice about Elvis and kids in general? They like one song. They only like one song. And they only, like, he only really wanted to see one song. Right? And then he's good to go. <laughs> And then he's good to go. And it wasn't even a damn song. It was say what? Hey, Captain, you say what? Say what? <laughs> hey, Captain, you say what? Well, that, that's my favorite <laughs> album. <laughs> you had that vinyl and you said, you can have that. It's a terrible album. And I said, no, it's not. It's a great it's album. It's really a bad album. It's a good oh, song. It's but absolutely bad. No, that, fabulous. That but, song uh, could be on any Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> yeah and then That's... even when we went and saw billy eilish at the el ray all he really wanted to see was that bad guy song you're a bad guy <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. they're just like they're the next generation has a very low attention span so i'm thinking when elvis is like 20 concerts are going to be like 17 minutes long hello Here's our songs. <laughs> Hello, goodbye. Well, home. that Bob, that plagues all artists, all old, older artists. They go and they write new albums, and nobody cares about the new stuff. Oh, they I'm go the king the, of that. They go to the I, gig and they want to hear the old stuff. They want to hear when the new. Gary, you think, Gary, in, think people go to Gary Newman's concerts because of his new albums? He's great, and his new albums are absolutely fabulous. But they want to hear Cars. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear the other song too, but. Uh, he has two songs. So I like no, Down I in the lived, Park. I, I liked lived, a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Down in the Park? The album before Cars. He had one. Yeah. Replicas on was. Yeah. And Telecon. Those were good records. And Two Way Army stuff was. Albums, his new albums are fabulous. Like 10 years ago, right? Or nine, seven years ago, um, I was living in Beachwood at the Sober Living. And El Rey is right down the street, like literally a two minute drive. And if you park north of Hollywood Boulevard, there's always parking around there. I literally fly down the street, park, just walking downhill to the El Rey, I mean, to the Fonda Theater, walk in, see what I wanted to see back home. It would be like a 40 minute plan. <laughs> this is, this is yeah. how it went. Because somebody introduced me, Dave Becky, a friend of mine, introduced me to this website called FM Setlist. Have you ever heard of it? No. FM Setlist tells you the setlist, the band you're going to see tonight played last night or the night before. Oh. So all the bands that play, like I saw Public Image, I saw The Damned, I saw, I saw um, Jenny Lewis, I saw, I, I saw, uh, uh, mayhem i saw all these different bands that i like 
and you look at an FM station, right? An FM set list and you can see those set lists and you can see where like, and I saw Peter Murphy and Peter Murphy plays one Bauhaus song like fourth and then he plays all Bauhaus songs at the end of the set and the encore. So then I, I know Wiley, who, who stage manages there. You know Wiley all right, his sure, old, sure, yeah. life. I he text listens. Wiley, what time does Peter Murphy go on? Right? <laughs> the real time. And he would tell me yeah. 9.15. And then I would time out the songs <laughs> yeah. to, and time out how long it takes me to get there. I would literally walk in. I would hear Telegram sound. You're my main man. <laughs> Telegram. Time it. I got it down to an art where I only saw the songs I wanted and I was back the fuck out. When public image, <laughs> I only saw like, I'd see the 30 minutes I want to see and then I'd be back home before they even ended the show. Just got through saying that the kids of today only want to see one song. <laughs> and you don't understand it. No, he and wants you, to see like five. I want to see like five songs. I, you know what? I, I don't want to hear the new songs. I, oh, I got to tell you the story. So there was one point where Anthony Kiedis, our good buddy, became obsessed with Elvis Costello. It was like a six-month period of time. And Elvis Costello... You know, he's just obsessed with Pump It Up and certain Elvis Costello songs. And I'm a huge Elvis Costello fan. We were bonding. This is like in, I don't know, 80s or something. 80, I don't know what year. But uh, so, oh, you can look it up, actually. It's the it's the album, uh, The Other Side of Summer is on. What's The Other Side of Summer album, Chuck? You know all the Elvis Costello. I, I think that's, I saw him on that tour. That's when he had long hair. It's Anthony on the album, dry. the 1991 album, Mighty Like a Rose. We saw the go. opening of that tour. And we're driving, Anthony's driving in the service lane in the middle, like all past all the cars in that old Camaro that he had, Mike. Remember that car? Yeah. And we're driving like 80 miles an hour in the service lane up the middle, trying to get to Elvis Costello. We get to the bowl, we get in. He, you know, like five minutes we're there and the, and he starts and we're all pumped up. We're listening to Elvis Costello the whole way up there. We're listening to blood and chocolate and this year's model and armed forces and all the Elvis Costello. We like, he plays the entire mighty, like a rose album and no songs. That we <laughs> the entire new album before it was even released. Yeah. That's not and fair. We're just sitting there like, Fuck, we drove, we risked our life to come here. Allison and whatever. Did he do radio, so, radio, anything? No, no, he did not do radio, oh. radio. This is when he was an artist, Chuck. Yeah, he's famous for that. You can look up on FM set list, that tour. He played like nine songs off the new album. Here's another Elvis Costello thing. So he made that Burt Backrack record, and I hated it. I fucking hated it. <laughs> the only good song on there is, is God Give Me Strength, right? Which was already out on a soundtrack. So he does a round of tours. First time in my life, Chuck, I don't go see Elvis Costello. I saw Armed Forces tour. I've seen every tour up until then. I don't go. Purposely don't go. About a year later, he comes back around. It's just a solo tour of him and Steve Naive, right? Um, that must have been great. Well, at the Wiltern Theater. Yeah, kind of, but not kind of. I'm sitting there with uh, my ex-brother-in-law, Brian Smith, the great buddy. He bought, he bought really good, you know, like eighth row seats, center. We're sitting there. 
Um, the fifth song off the Burt Bacharach record, I yelled, oh, give us a fucking break. I, I said it to myself, <laughs> I thought. I said it to myself, I thought, Chuck. But you know how quiet some of these Elvis Costello, oh, he's the genius crowds yeah. can be. It literally <laughs> echoed through the Wilton. And Elvis Costello heard it and stopped playing. Oh, Jesus. And looked down and he looked right down at me. And I was like, sorry. sorry. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> it was, I, come on. We didn't, we didn't, I didn't go to that tour. I came to this new tour. Well, and it's lucky Thorny Monster were a bunch of junkies and broke up and didn't make a bunch of shitty albums. That's just luck, Mike. We're lucky. We're lucky. <laughs> because we would have been out there. I would have been the same as if, yeah, here's something off our new record. People are like, fuck you, play Sammy Hager Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? Psycho-fucking-delic. Who still writes great songs? And when you hear their new songs, you're really still attentive. I can tell you there's one artist I know of, Nick Cave. Nick Cave can play new songs and I'm listening and I'm tuned in and I want to hear it. And it, because there's something about Nick Cave, it's very powerful. It, it, he's one of the greatest artists of our whole lifetime and people don't recognize it. I think they're starting to with that, um, with that show, uh, Peaky Blinders, because yeah. they brought Red Right Hand out. And I think a lot of people are exposed to Nick and they're going back and finding like uh, murder ballads and the, all the stuff he did with bad seeds and the stuff he did with birthday party. I think he's, he's due for um, like a resurgence. That's going to be, no, huge. but he was something when I, when I remember going to see him at the Wiltern also. And I wanted the birthday that, you know, the bad seeds full on noise and him going crazy. And that's not what it was. It was the murder ballads tour. And he really did the songs. And I was mesmerized. There's very few artists that can do that. When you're going with a high expectation of what you want and they don't give it to you, but they give you something else and you embrace that, that's a real artist. Leonard Cohen mm. can do that. Nick Cave can do that. Um, you, know, you know who else can do that, Bob? It's weird. Paul McCartney can do that. Paul McCartney. What a, oh, don't say negative things about Paul McCartney. He no, is, he, he is, he he is the greatest. And when he played Coachella and he played Jet, I was screaming. Dun, 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 the faces. I don't even know the words. Jet. Dun, 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 Jet. And I'm sure I was very anti-wings at the time of Jet. But man, what a great song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bug, Bug's taking a liking to him. He, he likes a lot of Paul McCartney. Wings. And isn't, wings. Isn't, yes, Wings too. Uh, coming Up. There's a live version of Coming Up that he really liked. But his, his whole introduction to Paul McCartney was uh, Paul McCartney's Mary Had a Little Lamb in kindergarten because he didn't know that Paul McCartney was a Beatle at that point. So, yeah, he, he likes the Paul McCartney solo stuff way more than I do, but that's cool. Want to hear the coolest thing about Paul McCartney? What's that? He played Coachella was probably, let's look it up. Mike, can you look up when he played Coachella? Yep. It was, it was 2009. So how old was he in 2009? How old is oh, he now? God. He's oh, like 78 geez. now. So 11 years ago, he was 67. 67 years old. You ready for this? Yeah. He plays a two-hour set at Coachella. And then Coachella is two weekends, right? On Wednesday night, he plays a two-and-a-half-hour set at Pappy and Harriet's. 
sings uh, all Beatles songs in that little bar, blows oh. his voice out, and then can't sing at the next weekend of Coachella. Oh, shit. <laughs> but I thought that was so cool. Like, if he's going to do... He didn't just go to Pappy and Harriet's and play a 40-minute set. He fucking played all night, gave his heart and soul to 200 people. With a people, bad PA and blew his voice a, out because he had and blew his voice out <laughs> and then couldn't play. Wow. <laughs> couldn't sing that good at Coachella. And they kind of changed the set list because they knew that he blew his voice out. Did you go to out. that? Yeah. I went, oh, Pappy Nerds? No. You know who did? Ted went. I think uh, all our Joshua Tree buddies went because it was kind of known. I think when a big old truck with a bunch of equipment pulls up a Pappy and Harriet's people can see it all around. Like, yeah. Who's playing? What the fuck's going on? Oh, yeah. Paul McCartney's <laughs> playing tonight. Oh, really? How do wow. I get tickets? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, it's great. I just think at 67, you were in the Beatles and you're still fucking playing the cool bar in town because you got nothing better to think of doing. That's so I'm cool. gonna I'm gonna say two more. I'm gonna say that the Who could do that. The Who was good at always bringing out a new album and 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 then having total hits and everybody wanted to hear them. And then our friends, the Chili Peppers. They Chili always, Peppers do do it. They do it really well. They do do it. Yeah. You know, the Chili Peppers are of of our friends' band of my acquaintances' bands. The Chili Peppers have written more songs i like decades after you would even think that they could write a song that i would like yeah i've never you know seen I mean? them i've never seen them play they're in real really life uh, you gotta go they're, they'll be playing whenever this fucking covid shit is over chuck we can go to concerts yeah i'm looking forward to that right but i i just i i really think that you know no matter don't i'll be immunized and you know, for, I guess it's two weeks after your second shot, Chuck, you're completely immunized or whatever. So yeah, I, by, I'm hoping so. By the 26th of February, by March 1st, I'll be immunized. I don't know why these people are so against masks. I got so many dope masks. I've got my specials first album cover mask. I've got, uh, you know, two girls snorting Coke off a mirror mask. I've got oh, such. Wow. I've got fuck you mask. I've got so many cool masks. If I, you know, I'm gonna wear masks. Whatever. You don't you know. wear that snorting a coke mask when uh, at like a groups or anything, do you? No, I wear it at like when I go out here around the <laughs> burn to see if anybody pays attention. <laughs> Good. I just want to clarify. You're walking that. dead around here, so I do things to see if it gets a reaction, and when it does, I know that there's some life here in the suburbs. Anyways, let me tell you about this. I wore the fuck you mask. This old guy at the post office goes, who's that directed at? <laughs> and I was like, uh, nobody in particular. And he goes, you, I like it. You, I if like the it. shoe fits. <laughs> but it was, he was like probably an 80 year old guy. He noticed the fuck you mask. I got, hey, I got a new record. Today came in the mail. Can you guys see this record? Let me turn the light on. You got to see. Mike, this is for you. Can you see what this Diesel is? Diesel smoke. Oh, it's uh, dangerous curves and the uh, and other truck driver favorites. Oh, it's a truck driving mm. record. 
sounds like something we would got at the store, uh, you know, on, on tour in the truck stop on a cassette. Right. It's got Six Days on the Road by Red Sovain. It's got it's got this guy Merle Kilgore. Remember who that is? Merle Kilgore was Johnny Cash's best friend. Do you remember stopping and spending all of our money on truck stop stuff like cassettes? Cassettes for sure. Yeah. So what have we covered tonight? We've covered the vaccine. We've covered recovery, rehabs, fraud, and music. Sooner or later, this is sooner or later. This will just be evolved into a music thing called "Don't Die." <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Don't oh, die. That's good enough for me. What you shirt guys. are you wearing, Ramones? What is that shirt? Um, Chuck, it's a hostage record shirt. Hostage you know, record. you know Paul and Rick hostage, right, Mike? Yes. Yeah, they they do all, all the local bands around here. They've recorded and they put out records. Wow, they're going to so go places now. The Burger Records is shut down. They could really go places. And these guys aren't going to get caught up in any of that sort of stupidity. They're both uh, grown ass men who they're good people. Paul actually, Paul Paul Hostage actually works at Wavelengths in the medical department. He's one of the the pill counter guys and one of those guys. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's cool stuff. How many musicians do you think work in recovery? Like, got to be thousands and thousands, it's, it's, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the recovery, the, a lot of the recovery world is uh, the home for wayward, past their prime musicians. Oh, That's you perfect. play guitar? It's like in any room I'm in, no matter which of the houses I'm at, there's always someone that's a better guitar player than me. <laughs> Chuck, I'm going to leave you with this. Everywhere I go at any time, there's always somebody that plays guitar better than me. Because I, I really did not want to become a musician because I thought it affected how you wrote songs. I, I, Jeffrey was the best example of it. Jeffrey's first album is a masterpiece. It's every song on it is a fucking masterpiece. He didn't know how to play guitar to save his fucking life. He got pretty good at the end. And, <laughs> and there's other musicians that are still alive. I'm not going to mention who were not very good musicians who made masterpieces. Yeah. Let's say good night now. Let's get. <laughs> You're going to cut all that out. Cause you don't want to talk about yeah, come on. Yeah, now. you don't want to talk yeah. about it. You don't no, want to I talk want about you it. You two. <laughs> <laughs> I was love honest. you, man. <laughs> all right, all right. see you later. Bye bye. Good night, bye. guys. Don't die. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. We've got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. 